0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, verses 35 through 49 is what we'll be covering, and the title is, It's Time to Morph. It's Time to Morph. In the early 1900s, the story is told of a little girl who was the pride and joy of her parents. She was an only child. And one day, the little girl woke up with a sore throat and a headache. Her mother, not really thinking too much of it at first, decided to allow the little girl to stay home for some rest and get better and then get back to school the next day. Well, it came that the next day, the little girl was visibly in pain. Her face had turned red and she was hot to the touch. She had a fever. So the mom decided, hey, this is a little bit dangerous. I'm going to call for the doctor. The doctor came and, and, and a good thing that she did, too, because the, the, the doctor took a swab of the back of her throat and said, better keep her isolated. Better close her in the room here and just kind of keep her to herself for the rest of the day until we can find out what's going on here. It was back in the day before they could find out, you know, just by taking a, a little sample and, and immediately knowing what was wrong. But the next day, again, the, the girl's condition got worse, She continued to weaken. The fever was even worse, and she wasn't able really uh, to move very much. Her mom moved her mattress into the room with her and camped out and spent the night there and ministered to her and, you know, cold compresses and water and ice cubes, whatever she could do to make her daughter more comfortable. But soon the doctor's results came in. It was a positive case of scarlet fever. An ambulance came to the house, and the mother and the daughter got inside and drove to the hospital. The little girl was to be admitted to a special wing of the hospital that was filled with other children that also had scarlet fever. Unfortunately, the mother was told she would not be allowed to accompany her daughter into that part of the hospital. So you can imagine, they were both sad. There was a shedding of tears and a parting of ways. The little girl lay in her bed where the nurse had fixed it up for her, and day after day, she grew weaker and weaker. She missed her mom very badly because she'd never been apart from her. They were best friends. Well, every day, her mom would come, and her mom would find a window where she could see into the bed of her daughter, and she would look there. For the first few days, the daughter was too sick to even know that her mom was doing that. But there came a day when she was able to be propped up, and the nurse propped her up with some pillows and said, look who came to see you. And the little girl, of course, was able to see that her mom was there, and every day at the same time, her mom would come and see her there through the window. And finally, the girl asked, hey, I want to talk to my mom. Can you open the window? And the mom tapped on the glass and asked if they could open it. No, they couldn't open the window. It was too cold outside. It wouldn't be good for the health of the other children. Well, slowly the girl's health improved. Soon she was able to be moved closer to the window. And when the air warmed up outside, the nurse opened the window. And you can imagine, they spent the whole day talking together. The mom and the daughter, there was a reuniting of sorts that took place. They still couldn't touch each other, but they talked and talked and talked. And finally, one day after what seemed like an eternity to the little girl, the doctors allowed her to go home. The doors of the hospital opened up. She, the little girl saw her mom coming to get her and she ran as fast as she could in her weakened state, gave her mom the biggest hug she could ever muster up with that weakened state that she was in. And she said, Mom, this is so much better than before. There's no more glass between us. There's no more obstructions between us. Now we can be together forever. And that was her heart and her mom's heart as well. And they shed tears. But church, that story is a reminder for you and me that one day our bodies will be made new and we will put off the old and be clothed with the new and we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. That day is a reality. You can take it to the bank and build your life on it. And that day is coming, the day that we will burst open through those doors and run into the presence of Jesus and be with Him forevermore. Have you ever thought about that day, church? Have you ever thought about what you're gonna do when you see Jesus? I have. I've thought, man, I'm gonna run as fast as I can and you know, give him a hug. Maybe I'll form tackle him, you know. Just try to or actually maybe he'll tackle me, you know. He's probably stronger than I am. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But let's think about that day today. That's the day that we're studying about in our text. And so, there are some of you here that are thinking in your minds because you have a scientific mind and a detail-oriented mind. God's made you that way, and you're naturally thinking, well, how is that going to happen? What exactly is that new body going to look like? What is this, gonna, what is this experience going to be? And that's what Paul is going to be writing to us about today in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We know that he's been talking about the resurrection of believers in this chapter, And we already covered the foundation of the resurrection in the first 11 verses. We know that that's tied into the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, his actual physical body, in a tomb, but that body was raised by the power of God to life and he is alive today forevermore that's the foundation of the resurrection he's the first fruits the first in quality the sample of quality and the first in importance of what you and I are waiting for okay that's the foundation then we looked at the facts of the resurrection last week in light of the fact if Christ was not raised then all of those things that we looked at our life is basically futile what are we even doing at church today But because we know Christianity is true, because we know that Christ is raised, Paul gave several facts of how that affects our lives. Today, we'll be talking about the realities of the resurrection body, the realities of our resurrection body, and Paul does that by giving us two analogies to look at that are going to explain to us the how and the what of the resurrection, okay? So the first is the analogy of seeds and bodies. The analogy of seeds and bodies. Pick it up with me. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. Paul says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Let's pause right here for a moment. Remember that these two questions come from the camp of the false teachers in the the Corinthian church. They were saying, ah, there is no resurrection from the dead. And Paul anticipates that these are their questions, that they're going to object to the teaching with these two kinds of questions. They're thinking, hey, there can be no physical resurrection from the dead because our bodies will decompose. You don't think about that. That's kind of what they were thinking: is like, how could that be true if the body decomposes? God's going to resurrect a decomposed body, and that's going to go to heaven. And they were thinking that's disgusting, which is what I'm thinking too. You know, like that would be gross if we had zombies walking around in heaven. You know, like jaws hanging open, you know, and eyeballs missing, and you know, maybe someone just a little cloud of ashes because they got, (laughs) you know, cremated or whatever. I don't know, but. It would just be kind of weird, you know, if, if, this, is, if this was true. So they're thinking, there, there's no way there's a physical resurrection of the dead. That would be disgusting. There would be, you know, decomposed bodies walking around in heaven. And so that's at the root of their argument against the resurrection from the dead, is this assumption that that would mean that there was a reanimation or revival of dead bodies. And so that's why they were asking, listen, how can it be that a dead corpse is reanimated and goes into eternity like that? It's because they couldn't handle the how that they gave up on the truth of the resurrection from the dead altogether. They thought, hey, there's no way that could happen, so let's just kind of forget about it. Let's just kind of remove that. Thus, they needed to know how and with what kind of body. And Paul anticipates that. So he's going to go into that. Look at verse 36. Paul says, foolish one. Don't you love Paul? He's so direct. He's just like, fool, listen up verse 36, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Let's pause right here. Paul begins here by using the an, an Old Testament idea of a fool being a person who doesn't take God seriously or forgets just who God is. And so he starts by saying foolish ones. It's, it's the age-old um, Old Testament kind of put down you know psalm chapter 14 verse 1 it says that the fool has said in his heart there is no god april fool's day it's been happening ever since they wrote the psalms you know the fool has said in his heart there is no god guys paul is saying listen you guys you you're you're not understanding the power of god here you would you're you're acting like a fool because you're forgetting that we're talking about God." The God who, with a word, created the heavens and the earth. He created the mountains and the valleys, the rivers, the lakes that we see. The billions of galaxies out there and the stars that are in them, the planets, all of these things, God spoke those into existence with the words. You fool. You're not taking into account the fact that God is God and you are not. Surely our God has a plan for the resurrection of dead bodies. Surely our God is able to take even those that have been burned, even those that have decomposed and are nothing but dust, and to reassemble and to transform into something new. That's what Paul is saying. And, and, and so now he goes into that in verse 37. He begins to talk about agriculture. He's using an analogy related to agriculture, the sowing of seed. And just as a seed must die and be put into the ground, Paul says, that has to happen before it can become alive. Verse 37, What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. So the analogy is quite simple, really. A grain or a seed that is planted is completely different in its form than what it becomes. You see, that grain is taken and it's planted in the ground, but it's through that, that death and burial, that new life comes. God gives it a stalk. He gives it roots. He gives it leaves and a flower. And in other words then God is the one who sees to the process of transformation with His power. He's the one that makes that seed into what it shall be. This is Paul's point here. He's stating that, listen, there are two modes of life. There's before death, and then there is after death for the Christian. The body of the dead believer, whether cremated or buried, is put into the ground, but that is not what it will be For eternity, God will give each person their resurrected body. And so, yes, there is life before death, but there is also life after death. And that is so important for us to remember and to realize. Speaking of bodies, that's our next analogy here. Paul talks about the body. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh in verse 39. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. So Paul's point in this verse is that each earthly species, notice there, has been given a body that God has given, and it's perfectly adapted to life where God has put them, for life on the earth. And so he gives the four uh, you know, classic examples ancient examples of, of the different species. He talks about men first. Men, we know, have been given a body, a soul, and a spirit, created in God's image. And God gave creation to man, and He said, Hey, I want you to rule over this. I want you to uh, uh, be fruitful and to multiply and to Lord, be the Lord over this creation. God gave us that creation. Then He also created animals. Now, animals have been given a body and a soul. They do not have a spirit. But, but they do have that body and that soul. They have the capacity for emotion. And, 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 and I say that, you know, if you don't believe me about that, tell that to the bee that stung me on my lip. He seemed very angry, okay? This happened to me while I was down in Costa Rica. We were on that mission trip a year and a half ago. And we were staying at a hotel there in, 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 in Tamarindo, And they were doing some construction in the, uh, area around Tamarindo and heavy machinery rolling through the forest. It was causing the ground to tremble, which in turn was causing the trees to shake, which in turn was disturbing several bees' nests that we didn't know about. But the bees were not too happy and they attacked the hotel. And I remember, you know, I heard some people yelling out in the common area, and I was like, huh, I wonder what's going on out there. My wife and I happened to be sitting outside of our room on a little bench. We were reading our Bibles, trying to get ready for the day. You know, it's not good to be in the flesh on a mission trip, so we were trying to read the Word and be spiritual, you know? So we were sitting there, and next thing I know, a bee comes and lands on my neck and stings me while I'm reading the Bible. And, of course, I knocked it off of me. I said, wow, and I jumped up, and I was like, what was that? And I was looking around, and I saw this bee. I kid you not, this bee was up under the awning of the patio that we were sitting at, and it looked at me. (laughs) And, And I'm not even kidding. It looked at me, and it flew straight at me and stung me on my lip. And at that point, I flipped and fell over backwards, and there was a cactus bush right there. And, 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 I was, and my wife was laughing at me this whole time, if you can believe it or not. She, was just, she thought it was so funny. And I'm like fighting for my life with this bee, you know, and I had to go running inside the hotel room and kill it in the bathroom, you know. And it, was, it was wild. I got stung about five times out of the whole thing, but that bee was mad. There's no other way to put it. So the, yes, they do have emotions. And then you've got fish. Fish, have been given that cool little body with scales and fins and, you know, cool stuff to live under the water. And then, I'm real scientific as you can tell. And then birds. Birds have been given a special body to be able to thrive in the air. So God, the point is, is that Paul's point is, look, every kind of body has been given special uh, ability to thrive in the environment that God places it in. Now he's going to continue in verse 40. There are also celestial bodies. So now he begins to talk about heavenly bodies. Celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. What's his point? What's he talking about? Well, he's transitioning from earthly now to heavenly bodies. And what's important for us to note in these verses is that each body has its own kind of glory. There's an earthly glory, but there's also a heavenly glory. And even within the heavenly glory, there's different, there's differing glory. So Paul's kind of taking this moment here. It's almost as if he's stepping back and marveling in creation. And he's going, wow, our God is amazing. Our God has all of these differing levels of glory in the creation that he has made. Now think about that. Have you ever just sat under the stars at night? Or looked at the moon? And just taken a minute to go, Whoa, this is incredible. You look at the stars, and the moon, and the planets, and you get a sense for how small we really are, don't you? You get this sense like, wow, I'm really nothing in the big scheme of things, in all that God has got going on in His glory. And we look at the moon, and it's got one kind of glory, you know, it looks kind of like a cheese ball up there, you know? And then you got the stars, those have their own kind of twinkling little glory, and then you've got the planets. And you look at them all, and you just go, wow, God, you're amazing, you're huge, who am I? Maybe you've watched a sunset. Have you ever taken the time just to sit down and watch the sun go down? Isn't it amazing? Don't you get the sense that you're looking at something that's just a little touch of heaven, a little touch of the glory to come? You know, I remember one time I climbed up onto the top of a mountain peak and as the sun was going down, there was these clouds that rolled in off of the ocean. And it was kind of that that little, uh, uh, you know, whatever you call it, the fog bank that rolls in off the ocean at night. But as it came in, it surrounded me completely until I was the only, that little mountain peak was kind of the only thing that was sticking out of the clouds all around me. I couldn't see anything but clouds. And as the sun sank into those clouds, it turned everything gold all around me. And it was a glorious moment. I thought to myself, this is what it must be like to be in heaven. Then I stepped off the peak and I died. No, I'm just kidding. I I, I didn't do that, but it was was an amazing moment. And I thought, this is a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. You know, every sunset is a glimpse of the glory that is to come. Maybe you're not a sunset person. Maybe you're a sunrise person. I like to watch the sunrise every now and then when I get up early enough. And I like to go out there and I like to see the sun rising there. And isn't it amazing? You get the sense of, wow, everything is fresh. Everything is new today. I've got a clean page in front of me. This day hasn't happened yet. And it's an opportunity. And there's a glorious thing about the sun rising, isn't there? It's amazing. It's beautiful. That's the way God made it. It's just a hint of the glory of God. And we, Paul says, we're going to go through a transformation that's going to take us from earthly glory into heavenly glory. Now Paul proceeds to apply these analogies now to the questions of the Corinthian believers. Verse 42 says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The dead is sown, or the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now, I don't know about you, if you're a person that likes to highlight in your Bible or underline words, underline that word incorruption in verse 42. And then I'm going to tell you some more in verse 43. He says, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Do Underline glory there. And then it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. You get the idea. Underline power. In verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Again, underline or highlight that word spiritual body. And then Paul just finishes that by saying, there's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So what is he doing? He's giving us four sets of contrasts to help us understand what the resurrection is going to do, what it's going to be like, how it's going to happen. He starts off by saying, look, you, your body, like that grain, it's sown in the ground. It's w- When you die, it's sown in corruption. That word corruption, it means decay. It means ruin. But then it becomes incorruption, he says. And that means that it, it enters into an unending existence in which it is in a genuine, perfected state. The Greek word for incorruption literally means genuine and perfected. So think about it, guys. Your body is, is de- it, you know, at this point, it's, it's on a crash course with death. Ten out of ten people die. I hate to break it to you. That's the statistic. Unless we're raptured, you and I are going to die someday, and our bodies are going to decompose. What is sown in corruption, though, Paul says, is going to be raised into an unending existence. It's going to become genuine and perfected. It says it's sown in dishonor and raised in glory. That word dishonor, it means indignity or disgrace. Why is our body sown in dishonor? Because of sin, guys. Because of sin, our bodies are dishonored. The sinful nature, it corrupts and it's disgrace. It disgraces the body. And so we're sown in disgrace. But guess what? When we're raised, that word for glory, it means righteous. We're raised in the righteousness of Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says that you're sown in weakness. The body is sown in weakness. That means feeble, frail, sick. But it becomes a supernatural, spiritual body. Just like the one that Jesus has. You know, we were talking about this this week as we prepared for Sunday morning. I was talking about it with Justin and, and Micah. We were talking about how Jesus... After he rose from the dead, do you guys realize he walked right through a door and came into a room without opening a door? And, and so I tried that in my office and it didn't work too well. But I told the guys I was like, look, there's going to be a day when not literally I can walk up to this door and because of my resurrected body, I'm just going to be able to pass through it somehow. Like I don't know how, but the molecular structure will be so changed. I'm not a scientific guy, just just kind of speculating here, but The molecular structure is going to change to where I'm going to be able to fit through the molecules of the glass and the wood and just pass through as if it wasn't even there. Isn't that cool? I've been wanting to run through walls all my life. Doesn't work for me, but someday I'm going to be able to. And I'm excited about that. I am excited about that. But really, what is our takeaway from this teaching? What should we take away from this uh, analogy of seeds and bodies of how God is going to transform us and adapt us to fit the new life that he has planned for you and me? Well, first of all, this should give us hope. This should fill us with hope right now because there may be someone here today who in the flesh, you're, you're groaning. You know what it's like to live in a body that is weak. In a body that is slowly, uh, you know, going through the process of sickness or you don't have good health. And you know that, man, this is, it's just hard. It's suffering. And, and I know God has a purpose in it for this time, but man, I can't wait until I get to exchange this body with the one that God has for me. And there may be others here that are struggling with sin in your life. There's a sin that you're just struggling to overcome. And 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 this is really all of us. We all understand the tension between uh, who we are called to be and who we really are. We understand that tension, and you know that struggle, and you are wrestling with it. And you are just going, man, I can't wait for the day when finally the weakness and frailty of my sinful nature is going to be gone, and I am going to step into the, I am going to step into glory, into the righteousness of Christ, and I am going to have a body that is filled with power. That word, power, in Greek is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from that word. We're going to have a body that is literally able to be powerful for once in our lives. You think you're strong now? Uh Uh-uh. It doesn't hold a candle to what God's body is going to be like for you in heaven. That's all coming. That should fill us with hope. But also, this morning... Another thing that fills me with hope, actually, is is the fact that this body that we're going to inherit, that that God gives us, it's not going to be governed by the same laws as it is right now. Like I talked about the molecular structure, it's going to be entirely different. It's not going to be a fleshly body. It's going to be a spiritual body. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be adapted to live for eternity with Christ. But also, I also, so not only hope, but also this, this means that we need to take care of our bodies right now. I need to be careful how I treat my body. I need to be careful because this is the body that I'm going to be sowing that is going to be resurrected someday. Yeah, I understand it's not going to be exactly the same. I, I know that God's going to transform it, but still, it matters now. That's Paul's point in this passage is that we need to take care of our bodies. We need to care for ourselves properly because this is the vehicle that God has given me for life on this planet. Now, there are two extremes that we need to avoid if this is true. One is we need to avoid the extreme of worshiping our bodies, okay? Some people, they worship their body. Maybe you see them at the gym, you know? It's hard not to look at yourself at the gym. There's mirrors everywhere, right? But they're just loving looking at themselves, you know? They're like, oh yeah, check me out, you know? (laughs) I'm so studly, you know? And they're flexing and doing everything. You know, you, you can't help it at the gym. Maybe, that, maybe you're that guy. I was that guy. We just need to repent when we walk to our car, right? Just, Lord, forgive me for looking at myself too much, you know. It just happens at the gym. You just know it. But, but we're not to idolize our bodies where that's our all in all, man. Everything's about me and my body and my health. And it's all, you know. And, and we idolize our body to the point that, hey, that's beyond healthy, That's beyond what God has for you. This body is nothing more than a vehicle through which God is glorified on the earth. Through worship, through the things that you do and serve him with. And so we should want to take care of it because we want to do that for a long time. I want to be around for my wife. I want to be around for my kids someday and my grandkids. So I want to take care of myself. I want to be a pastor for a good long time. I want to to do as much as I can for the kingdom of heaven while I can. I might be the guy with one talent, but I don't want to take it and bury it so that when Jesus comes back, I'm like, oh yeah, Lord, <laughs> totally forgot that I was going to stand before you one day and give an account for what I did with my life. I don't want to be that guy. But on the other hand, we should not completely neglect our bodies or denigrate our bodies, guys. On the, the, and that's the other extreme. Is, you know, there are people that think, oh, well, I'm not even, who cares? I can't wait to die and go to heaven." Can't wait to get my new body, so I'm just going to mistreat this one as much as I can, or I'm not even going to care for it. And they don't care what they eat. They don't care that they're not exercising. They don't take care of their mental health. And you become a grumpy person that no one really wants to be around. We're just like, man, what is this person's deal? They don't even care. And, And that's not the kind of person to be. So neither of those extremes. We need to remember my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so I live to worship God with my body. Yeah, he's given you abilities. Yeah, he's given you talents and gifts. Use them, man. Use them for his glory, for his excellence, and do the best that you can do. Be all about it. But remember, don't fall into that category of idolizing the body or neglecting the body to the point of unhealthiness. And then we come now to the second analogy there, the analogy of Adam and Jesus in verse 45. Pick it back up with me. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So he's talking about Adam and Christ. Christ is the last Adam there. Verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Let's pause right there as we get to the end of this today. Paul is saying in verses 45 through 49 there that we've all received an earthly body. Of course, we've all received an earthly body created after the pattern of Adam. Adam was the first man. He was created without sin, but we know he fell into sin. And through him, all human beings have inherited a sin nature that can only, uh, be, we can only be restored to a sinless state through Jesus Christ, through our faith in Christ. And, and so the second Adam is Jesus Christ. He's the only other man. Adam and Jesus Christ are the only two men to ever exist that were created without sin. And Jesus Christ is the one who gives life to our spirits. That's what Paul is saying. So we, just as we have Adam, the first Adam, he gave us our earthly body. But we know that our earthly body, which is made of flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to have a second man, Jesus Christ, from heaven who gives us spiritual life, and eventually our new bodies, which will be given to us when we inherit his kingdom. So our natural bodies, guys, I'm not trying to build up your self-esteem too much today, but your natural body is made of the same 17 elements as the dirt right outside. Okay? Don't want to build you up too much, but that's just the truth. You've heard the phrase, from dust to dust. From dust to dust, and that's the truth. That speaks of our lives. We come from the dust. God formed Adam from the dust. And guess what? To the dust, we eventually return. One little boy knew and understood this concept very well, or at least he thought he did. One day he came running to his mom and said, Mom, come quick. You have to see this. The preacher says, we're all formed of dust, and to the dust we return. I just looked under my bed, and someone's either coming or going, Mom. But guys, the conclusion of all of these verses that we've studied today is that one day, we have the hope of being transformed forever. There's a tension between who we are today and what we will one day be. If you recognize that tension, can I get an amen this morning? There's, there's a tension between who we are and who we know one day we're going to be. We look at that and we see it and we go, Man, God, I want to be that person now. But I'm struggling, I'm struggling, there's things I'm wrestling with, or maybe I've got a disease, maybe I'm sick right now, and and I'm going downhill, and I can feel it, and there's this tension, Lord, I know what you're telling me I'm going to be one day, but right now, I don't feel it, and it's tough, listen, we are exhorted in this passage to become what we already are through God's grace. That's the takeaway for you and me today is that God sees us in our glorified state. He sees you and me in Christ because of your faith, because you trust the Lord. He doesn't see you just struggling to survive here on the earth. He sees you already morphed into that beautiful being that he's going to make you into physically one day. But for right now, hey, he's telling you, listen, you need to live within that tension, but live with a purpose Live in such a way that you are being transformed right now into who you one day will be. You see, we're to put on Christ every day, even now. We're to be men and women of prayer, men and women who are renewing our minds in the Word of God, allowing God to change us into the image of Christ today so that one day, man, the the, the actual when we actually are there, it's not unfamiliar to us. It's not unfamiliar territory. The hope that you and I have, guys, is a real hope. And it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as He is alive today, and at the right hand of the Father, one day too, we will be with Him in our re- resurrected state. We're going to have a heavenly body like His, that is incorruptible and glorious and powerful. And it's going to be perfectly adapted for life for the rest of eternity. Think about that. That is such a powerful message. Are we living for him and serving him now? Are we being transformed into his image now? That's the question, guys. We are going to live to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's start today. Let's pray. You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com.